Welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes & Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, the Director of Media Relations for Haynes & Boone, and I'm joined again today by Haynes & Boone Associate Michael Lambert, who is based in our Austin office and is a member of the firm's Intellectual Property Practice Group. Michael focuses on media, entertainment, IP, and First Amendment litigation. Michael was on our last podcast to talk about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which uh, provides immunity with some exceptions to companies like Google, Twitter, and Facebook from liability for third-party content, such as reader posts, YouTube videos, and Instagram posts. Today, we're going to resume our discussion focusing on an exception to Section 230, the so-called Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, or FOSTA for short, which Congress enacted in, in 2018. FOSTA allows claims to be brought against online services that allegedly facilitate sex trafficking. Michael will walk us through the history of FOSTA today and some of its key provisions. Before we get started, though, our usual disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change, legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. Michael, welcome back. Um, and I think we'll start today if, uh, by asking you if, you if you could please to explain the history of FOSTA and, and some of the problems that it was designed to solve. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Nathan. Uh, you know, so FOSTA was designed um, with an aim of reducing illegal sex trafficking online, which was becoming a problem. Um, and it was intended to do that by holding online services liable um, when they host ads for sex trafficking of minors. So what it did, it re- reduced the scope of Section 230, which we talked about in the lot, last podcast, which gives online services immunity um, for third-party content. So what FOSTA did was it excluded sex trafficking claims from that immunity, and it also added and amended uh, new federal sex trafficking offenses as well. So in addition to to um, altering the, the protections of Section 230, it also added additional um, federal statutes for sex trafficking. And, you know, you know, commercial sex has been advertised on the Internet for as long as it's been around. You know, in the beginning days is the days Craigslist, uh, you know, hosted an erotic services um, section on its Web page for a number of years. It later became known as the personals page. But the problem, this problem really started of sex trafficking, you know, in the mid 2000s, uh, there was a classified ad service you may have heard of called Backpage.com. And it really became known as the sort of the leading online marketplace for commercial sex. And it also hosted a lot of ads for sex trafficking um, victims. And, you know, and although Backpage at the time claimed that, oh, we took steps to um, to report these ads to authorities and try to take them down from their website, the evidence was not really prevailing in that point. Um, you know, actually a really interesting stat was that at one point, uh, 73% of all child sex trafficking reports uh, that were received by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children involved Backpage. So that just sort of shows the, how, how much of a role and how large of a role Backpage was playing in this problem of sex trafficking minors on the internet. And, you know, you may be thinking to yourself, well, weren't there other laws that could um, 
you know, help stop these sex trafficking online. Well, the federal statute, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, it did not clearly apply to online services. The way it was written predated the internet. So it did not clearly apply to online services. So that was the problem um, the federal prosecutors had when they were trying to um, enforce, enforce that law against online services. And at the same time, uh, most civil lawsuits that were brought by sex trafficking victims, they were dismissed under Section 230 um, because the websites were immune from liability because the ads and the other content were considered third, third party content. So therefore, Section 230 protected those online services. And so, so how did Congress go about sort of extending the reach of, of, of these laws to, to address online services? Yeah, so as Backpage really grew, um, you know, Congress started hearing um, from their constituents and there was really mounting public pressure, you know, from sex trafficking victims because they weren't able to seek remedies in court. Um, also, there was a number of supporters in the community and just the public at large sort of becoming attuned to this problem. Um, and, you know, the, the big concern was that sex trafficking victims were not able to find recourse uh, through lawsuits. So in the spring of 2018, the House of Representatives introduced a bill called FOSTA and the Senate introduced a bill called SESTA. Well, we'll spare you the minutia of the congressional um, you know, debate, but the bottom line is FOSTA and SESTA ended up being consolidated into one bill and it was passed by Congress, and it ultimately just kept the name of FOSTA. It was passed in the spring of 2018, and then President Trump um, signed it into law a month later. Interesting. So, so walk us through, if you would, um, what what's included in FOSTA. Yeah, so actually the actual law, what it says as its intent is, it says that, you know, Section 230 was really never intended to provide legal protection to websites that allow the promotion of sex trafficking. And that, you know, in the meantime, websites have been what they call reckless in allowing the sale of sex, sex trafficking victims, and they haven't done anything to prevent it. So that's what the law says. And it really has four main provisions. Uh, the first one, um, and this is the one it's probably most known for, is that it removes the Section 230 immunity um, from cr criminal prosecution of trucks sex trafficking laws. It also removes immunity for civil actions under federal uh, sex trafficking laws on the civil side. So it removes removes the immunity from both criminal and civil actions um, on the federal level for sex trafficking. And then the second provision is that it creates a new offense, actually, that was aimed at website owners. Um, like we've said before, um, the previous law was not clearly not, not clearly um, defined enough to be able to actually um, prosecute website owners. So this was an effort to to create a new law for that. And then it clarified um, an existing sex trafficking criminal law to include those who specifically that knowingly assist, support, or facilitate sex trafficking. And then finally, it actually excludes the state criminal prosecutions of sex trafficking um, from that Section 230 protection. And so was, was that law FOSTA used ultimately to, to take down Backpage? That's really the, one of the interesting things that kind of happened here is that the whole the thought process was that really this, this law was going to be used to prosecute Backpage. And that was sort of the big fish um, that federal prosecutors were trying to go after. 
like I said, seventy three percent of you know sex trafficking victims were were found on Backpage.com. But an interesting thing happened, you know, after Congress passed FOSTA, and actually before President Trump signed it, the FBI and federal law authorities raided Backpage.com, seized its assets, and shut it down. Um, and a state attorney general's filed criminal charges against Backpage. And Backpage's CEO ended up actually pleading guilty to conspiring to facilitate prostitution and money laundering charges. And this all happened before FOSTA even went to an effect. And actually, uh, some interesting news that sort of happened more recently, the trial that's been going on against two of Backpage's founders and five other employees is still ongoing. And the federal judge actually that was overseeing the trial declared a mistrial uh, last month, which was September in 2021, um, which just goes to show how long these prosecutions can drag out. Is Backpage, while that trial is ongoing, do you know if it's operational or is it is it temporarily shut down? It hasn't been operational for a while, from my understanding. It's been sort of off offline for a while. Now, there are other websites that have sort of tried to fill in the gap. But because of FOSTA now being on the books, I, there's so much more risk there. Um, it makes that that proposition more difficult. So how did um, online services respond to, to FOSTA? Yeah, because FOSTA imposes criminal liability based on knowledge of third party content that you know that this sex trafficking is happening on your website, you know, it left online services with three options. The first one is to, to implement some really strong content moderation efforts to ensure that no sex promotion, sex trafficking um, promotion appears on their services. The second option was sort of the ignorance option, which was just to turn off these content moderation efforts to avoid having that knowledge um, that was that was written in the statutes. And the third one was to just kind of shut the door was to just, you know, change his business model or to do something other type of, of work or other type of online service because this was just too risky of an area, sort of like I was talking about with the demise of Backpage. But one thing to remember, you know, about this is that, you know, big, big internet companies and social media companies, you know, like Google and Facebook, you know, they have the resources to adopt and adopt to these new laws and implement content moderation tools. But startups and smaller services, you know, they often had to go with the third option was to sort of shut down because they didn't want to get, you know, in the middle of, a, of an issue with the federal authorities or have to be have to be, um, you know, on, on a civil trial. So it just became so risky that it really it really ended up um, resulting in some of the smaller services from sort of going out of business. The, the way you describe it, Michael, if I understand it correctly, the way Foster's written um it it imposes liability on online services that have knowledge or actual knowledge i think you said of sex trafficking does that allow online services to just wear blinders to cover their eyes and you know see no evil hear no evil but it's, it sounds like not because it really imposed on online services an affirmative duty to sort of monitor what's going on and be aware of it right right it really did it really did end up having resulting in the online services either either really having to moderate for this or to sort of get out of it really out of fear because even if the law technically may not apply to them you know the risk was still severe enough um, especially when you deal with criminal charges right 
that that these websites just didn't didn't want to didn't want to risk it. So the, the way you describe it, it sounds like it really added some needed protections uh, to the law. Um, ha- has it been effective? What has been the impact of FOSTA on, on websites and, and on sex trafficking more broadly? Yeah. So as far as websites, it has really been a shift in the past three years. Um, as I was talking about earlier, you know, Craigslist did have a personal section. It had removed that, has removed that. And, you know, there have been about a dozen other services that have, there, that have been documented um, that were sort of catering to the sex worker community that have shut down, you know, since FOSTA was enacted. Um, well, there have been some other consequences, too, that maybe aren't so great. Um, you know, eBay, for example, started banning what they defined as sexually oriented materials. And that included magazines, movies and other video games, um, with a few exceptions. But there was a recent report uh, out about eBay it was really interesting. It showed that that some art and other historical items have sort of been swept up in that umbrella, right? It's sort of hard to define, well, what is a sexually oriented material? That's a pretty broad brush. Um, so this report pointed out that there are some historical items from the LGBTQ community that have actually been banned um, because they were deemed sexually oriented, but but they were sort of deemed sexually oriented just because they were they were talking about um, you know gay issues and issues that um, may not be what they would consider mainstream, and that's really unfortunate um, that you know some historical artifacts and other art. Um, have been removed and are sort of out of um, out of the public for because of um, FOSTA. So, so the, I guess in some ways the sweep of the law may have been a, a little bit broader than anticipated, or at least fear of the law has led to some unintended consequences. I think the fear, I think that's a good point. It's the fear of the law, because again, even if you don't think that by the letter of the law, you, you're, you're going to face prosecution, it's just not worth it, Right. So if you're an online service, you're you're going to err on the side of of removing more content, right? That that's the side you're going to err on. So as a consequence of that, you know, things get wrapped up in in that umbrella that really may not be, you know, in defined in the law or was really the intent of it. Do, do you know if any First Amendment advocates have complained that that or suggested that FOSTA uh, you know, has, has had some unintended consequences. Yeah. You know, some more mainstream social media networks, such as Tumblr and Instagram, um, you know, there's been anecdotal evidence that they have been more frequently removing, uh, sexually suggestive content recently. And I mean, the thought is that FOSTA has something to do with that, you know, and more hard evidence, you know, Facebook, for example, you know, it changes terms of service. Um, and now it specifically bans content that facilitates, encourages, or coordinates sexual encounters between adults um, because of this fear of liability under FOSTA. So, Michael, you've talked a little bit about how websites have interpreted the law and responded accordingly. What impact has the law had on the incidence of sex trafficking? Yeah, there was an interesting report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office um, in June 2021, and it found that federal prosecutors have actually only used FOSTA once um, to prosecute sex trafficking, which is pretty astounding. Um, and it's because they've had success using other federal laws. Um, in this same GOA report, um, it said that since FOSTA's enactment, and because of the end of Backpage, it's actually been more difficult for authorities to track down sex trafficking 
This is because a lot of sex trafficking has moved offline and also into international markets where U.S. authorities can't reach. And, you know, there have been studies that have shown that FOSTA has harmed, you know, voluntary sex workers because, you know, without being able to use the Internet, they've had to promote themselves in public spaces where, as you can imagine, it's more dangerous and they're more likely to in- encounter violence. That's that's frightening. Uh, well, I'm, I'm curious how courts have interpreted the new law. Has there been some case law on FOSTA? Yeah, so it's, it's been three years now. Courts have started to come around to interpreting the law, you know, and, and applying it in certain cases. You know, in June twenty in the June twenty twenty one, the Texas Supreme Court it actually allowed sex trafficking claims under a Texas civil sex trafficking law to proceed against Facebook. Um, this case was brought by minors who were sexually trafficked um, by people using Facebook. Um, And the Texas Supreme Court held that these sex trafficking claims could proceed because Facebook encouraged the use of its platform for sex trafficking by creating what they what they called a breeding ground for sex traffickers to stalk and entrap survivors. And the court said that Facebook knowingly benefited from sex trafficking and it used information collected to direct users to people that they likely would want to meet, you know, in allowing this claim to proceed. Um, the Supreme Court of Texas held that FOSTA applied to state civil claims. And this sort of came as a surprise to legal commentators because the text of FOSTA, like we said earlier, it, do, it did not say that it applied to state civil claims. It only said that it applied to state criminal claims. So this was an interesting interpretation by the Texas Supreme Court. And it'll be really interesting to see um, how other states interpret, um, interpret the same law. You know, and also, you know, FOSTA has has faced a number of constitutional challenges, as you can imagine, you know, on grounds that it restricts constitutionally protected speech under the First Amendment. Um, There was a case in which a website owner was charged with the facilitation of sex trafficking and um, the, the federal court in the North District of Texas held that FOSTA was not unconstitutionally overbroad or vague. That was the claim. You know, and this court rejected the argument that the words promote and facilitate uh, in the law were overbroad. And it also rejected the argument that the word prostitution is vague because it doesn't give fair notice and that applies and that it applies to cash for sex. So even though FOSTA has survived some First Amendment challenges, they are, there are others pending. And there's actually a currently a split in the Ninth Circuit over how to interpret FOSTA's text. You know, two California federal courts have reached opposite conclusions as to whether someone must first prove a criminal violation of sex trafficking in order in order to succeed on a civil action for sex trafficking. Does does the important public policy aims that the law serves, does that in any way help to insulate it from constitutional challenges or, or is that at all relevant? Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting question. And I think it also just sort of goes to sort of how you think about judges. And, you know, judges are people, too. And that's something that, you know, lawyers realize and advocates realize that um, even though, you know, judges are, are asked to interpret laws and apply the law and the Constitution, um, they're people. Right. And they're going to be sympathetic to victims of sex trafficking as they should. Um, so yeah, I, would think, I would think any judge would be pretty reluctant to strike down this law or, you know. right, right, right. No, that, that's, ex- that's exactly true. And, um, there's the human element there that is unavoidable and, in, in, in all sorts of legal areas. 
Well, Michael, thanks for that. And as I noted earlier, we're, we've uh, we've had one discussion on on Section two hundred and thirty, and we've got one more uh, in the hopper. So, can you tell us about uh, what what the next installment of our Section two hundred and thirty discussion is going to cover? Yeah, the last part of this series is a really fun one, and it, it sort of talks about all the reform efforts that's going on right now with Section two hundred and thirty, and that spans, you know, Congress. At the federal level, but also spans uh, state legislatures, including Texas and uh, Florida, that have implemented laws that have sort of um, been trying to curb um, the power and the control of social media companies. And we're also going to talk about how courts have started to sort of claw back a little bit of the breadth and how they've interpreted Section 230. So it's going to be really a good podcast to just kind of talk about all the different reforms going on right now in section 230 and maybe where um, they'll end up at the end. Uh, that sounds great. Thanks again, Michael. And I hope everyone will tune in for, for part three of our discussion, which should follow shortly after this podcast airs. Before we sign off, I just want to invite listeners to visit the firm's website at hanespoon.com. And at the site, you'll find the firm's media and entertainment litigation practice page, which contains links to our media entertainment and first amendment newsletter. And that newsletter is is fantastic. It covers a lot of the topics that we talk about on this podcast. Um, It also, uh, on the site, you can find links to our HB Media Minute podcast. And those are also available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and take care.